You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Cavaliers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Cavaliers podcast, your daily look at LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm Chris Manning, your host and the site manager at SB Nation's Fear the Sword. On today's show, I'm joined by one of the staffers over at Fear the Sword, that's Mike Zavgano, and he's here to talk about how all the new Cavs are performing. Mike, what's going on? Not too much, man. Uh, you know, Happy to be rejoining the pod. I just uh, came off my final spring break of my life. Uh, spent it down watching the tribe in in Arizona and playing some golf, so I'm refreshed and uh, you know ready to go for the stretch run here as soon as the Cavs get healthy and they're also ready to go. How was spring training, by the way? How, was it worth the the trip out? I know you flew for, like across the country for this. So was how was that experience? Yeah, we were you know partly sold on the spring training, partly sold on the golf. Um, we were able to see Indians. Dodgers, Indians, Cubs, and then also saw Cubs Diamondbacks as well. So, you know, the tickets are super cheap, uh, which was really nice because we got to get up pretty close, you know, for like 20 bucks. Um, and, and that was pretty awesome just to kind of be in the atmosphere. But you're able to really get down there early. There's so much more like player access because, you know, this kind of spring training, nobody's taking it so seriously. You know, uh, Lindor was talking to kids in the stands before his at bats and stuff like that. So I think it's a cool experience just for the access that you can get as like an average person who, you know, if you don't have nice tickets at the stadium, you probably won't get there, um, you know, on your own. It's, it's on my list of things I really want to do is just go to spring training for a couple of days and I think it'd be, it'd be cool. And it's an interesting time to like Mike Napoli's around and it's a weird time to, to follow that baseball team. But all these Cavs new pieces have had, I think really good moments have had some bad moments. The Cavs have been a little bit up and down. And just so listeners know, this podcast you're hearing after the Cavs have played the Phoenix Suns on Tuesday. We are recording this for NPR timestamp this at 9.29 p.m. on Monday, March 12th. So the Cavs will have played a game. Uh, we Rodney Hood could be back by then. Things could change. But this is where we stand as of right now after the Cavs just went 0-2 in L.A., and are I think one game over one or two games over five hundred since the, the trade deadline and have looked a little bit worse since Alistair Big some that, that those positive vibes are off. We're gonna start with the Cav who has looked the best, and that's Larry Nance Jr. He's I it made a really good impact as a starter. He's I think the last two games you've seen him deal with the size a little bit more though, but Mike, why has in for you and, and when you look at what Tom what Nance has done Almost slipped up there. Why has Nance been so effective, and what has made him the guy that has stood out the most? Posted, assuming you agree with me that he's he's kind of been the best guy. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that where it starts with this, uh, you know, with what we've gotten from Larry Nance so far, is kind of in those hustle stats. Um, you know, he he was always talked about as someone who had great energy, um, and you know was going to kind of bring it on on every possession. And you really see it so far um, in, in his hustle stats. Uh, he, he's averaging 3.3 deflections per game, 
since coming to the Cavs, which would be eighth in the NBA for the full season. Uh, that goes along with a steal rate that ranks in the uh, 96th percentile uh, per cleaning the glass. Uh, he's recovering 1.2 loose balls per game, which would rank in the top 40. And then he's contesting 10.7 shots per game, which would rank 17th for the full season. So you really get a, a sense of kind of the energy and the effort he brings, uh, somewhat of a unique skill set with his ability to kind of get into passing lanes and really be disruptive um, as a big man. And I think that that's something that's kind of helped the Cavs as, as a team uh, force more turnovers um, since since the trades, just because the Cavs have kind of always been a low turnover forcing defense in the last few years. It really hasn't been a strength of theirs. Um, and, you know, last year they ranked 28th uh, going into the trade. They're, they're ranking 26th. Um, and, and so with Nance on the floor, the Cavs are, are forcing significantly more turnovers. And I think that, you know, in the games that they've looked good, uh, part of the reason is because they've been able to kind of force those turnovers and then get out and transition the other way. He's He's been so good at some of the little things that I think you're pointing out. The couple other little things that I'll, I'll say is, number one, when they do get him the ball inside, he makes a play. And that it hasn't always resulted in, in a high-level dunk or – or anything, something positive, but he's willing to put himself out there and make plays. He he's a really sneaky good passer uh, from the inside. Once he, they they do this thing a lot where he gets the ball in inside the paint, basically from the free throw line in, and he waits and he's he's finding cutters. He's he's making the right move, and he also just he just seems to know what to do in the situations. His jump shot has also been something I think that has been very fascinating to to kind of watch develop. He talked about how he didn't have the chance to show that in LA. Tyloo said that. He didn't know Nance could do this. And and against the Lakers, I don't know what this means for him going forward or what, what it should mean or anything like that, but it came – he took a three-pointer. And, we, yes, the Lakers left him open and all these different – you can look at all the factors and say, yeah, like, you know, just a one-off thing. But this came on the heels of them talking about him having three-point shooting and being able to have that three-point stroke. And I don't know how much I, I personally buy that he, you know, is going to be a three-point shooter – um, I don't buy that he, you know, is going to be a guy that that will be that good, right? Like, I, I don't know if he's going to be a shooter like that. But right now, he's shooting 63.5% from the field in, ten, in, the, in the 10 games since the All-Star break. And he's averaging 8.8 rebounds, and he's, you know, at least contesting shots, not necessarily blocking them. And he's also staying out of foul trouble. And, yes, he's picking up over three fouls a game in, in almost in 25 minutes since the All-Star break. But I think considering how aggressive he plays – it's been a nice thing that his foul rate has not, over the course of starter minutes, has not turned into him being a foul-prone player. I think pretty much there, there are little things you want to see how he does, and I think he's he's feeling the brunt of guarding bigger guys right now. But I think he's by far been the most impactful guy, and I think just he's been the most fun guy to watch at the same time. Yeah, um, just to you know, add some numbers to what you're saying there. So he's averaging 3.3 potential assists per game since the trade. Um, which ranks fifth on the team, um, you know, behind essentially LeBron, the two-point guards, and J.R. Smith. Uh, J.R. Smith's at 3.5, so he's basically right there, uh, you know, along along the same lines as, as J.R. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that says more about how fun Nance has been and how kind of interesting he's been versus what that says about J.R., but th- that's, that's another conversation. <laughs> yeah, and then, um, you know, he's taken 27 total jumpers uh, since he came to Cleveland. And he's shooting 40.7% on those, um, which is, you know, pretty solid. Um, 
obviously he's taking most of those from two. Like you said, he has taken a few threes, which has been interesting, but probably nothing more than that. But I mean, from to go from a guy who, you know, really wasn't taking many jump shots at all to having taken already, you know, just, uh, just over two a game uh, since he came to Cleveland is, is interesting in and of itself. Um, just, just because you're kind of seeing him experiment with that range. And, you know, if he's able to knock those down um, with, even like a 40% level consistency when he's wide open, it's going to give the Cavs uh, a little bit of an added dimension. Uh, you know, when you try to eventually work him in next to Kevin Love, uh, and you either have Kevin Love posting up or, you know, getting the ball maybe on one of those elbows, um, he, he should have more room to operate if Nance is able to, to knock down some of those, you know, 10 to, to 15 foot mid range shots. I, I think it also will matter for LeBron. it'll help LeBron. I think it'll it'll make room for other guys to have to, to opportunities um, on the outside because the teams are going to have to respect that. And maybe does maybe it'll be interesting to see how teams defend that in the playoffs because you're you're seeing teams a little bit now not necessarily follow him out even on the at least the Lakers didn't necessarily follow him out to those 18 feet baseline jumpers. You know, are they going to follow him out farther? Are they going to take that seriously, or are they going to pack the paint against him like they would with Tristan Thompson or pretty much any any other Cavs big that they they have that's not named Kevin Love? Um, I I think that's going to be really interesting to see because if they do, if he can make them pay for that, that's just going to make him more playable in the in the playoffs. And I, I, I'm expecting him to play a lot. I think he's he's earning it. I think Tristan's play and has been up and down, and he's the injury concerns, but. He's really good. The one thing that I'm very curious to see how it continues is how he does against the bigger guys. There's two quotes, one from after the Pistons game, and then I believe one after they played the Clippers, where he talked about how it's exhausting for him to, to guard the bigger guys. Now, so far as a starting center, he's guarded Nikola Jokic from Denver, Andre Drummond from, from Detroit, who he did very well against. I would say that was his, maybe his best defensive game so far. DeAndre Jordan, who was incredible in that game, and then in Brooke Lopez, Nance is not a traditional center. He's six. He, he's listed as six nine two thirty. That's like LeBron size. Um, he's. I think he's a little longer. I think he. He certainly could. There's. There's room for him to get bigger uh, as a frame, but I, I think there's. There's something to be noted that he's not going to be built for handling some of the sledgehammer centers for thirty five minutes into the playoffs now. Are the are the Cavs going to face a lot of teams like that? No, the the the, the Warriors don't have, necessarily have that. I don't, I don't know if Capella qualifies that. The the you know Jonas Valanciunas is playing really well, so maybe he qualifies. And you could you could debate that, I guess. But Boston just lost Daniel Thies, who um, is is going to be out. And yes, they have Baines, but the, you know they're, they're losing a guy there. Um, and Al Horford is going to play a lot of minutes. And I I don't know if this is a major concern, but I, I it'd be interesting to me how he would hold up against defending Bruce night in and night out versus some of the smaller, quicker centers we're seeing teams use. Yeah, uh, and I don't think that the I mean, I think that the Cavs are also really worried about this um, because they just for some reason ever since Tristan has has gone out, they've essentially changed their entire defense again, which they've now done like four times this season. And they, they went from playing like a, a fairly traditional drop scheme after the trades and just trying to be like, you know, pretty relaxed and casual, I would say, you know, not trying to do anything crazy. And now all of a sudden they've just decided that like every time Nance faces a guy who's bigger than him, they're just going to double the post. And it's just it led to like all of this reckless defense. And I think that that's, I mean, aside from the injuries, I think that this is really why the defense has again slipped in, in the recent, um, you know, four or five games. It's just like, they started to overcomplicate a bunch of stuff again. And it's, 
I don't really know exactly why they're doing it. I think that it eschews the, the math and that, you know, post-ups are more inefficient than the, the wide open shots that they're giving up because they're, they're doubling the post, but it certainly seems as if they're very cautious or very concerned with the idea of him playing against, you know, larger centers, even if it is a guy like Brooke Lopez, who isn't a very good post-up guy, he just happens to be a lot bigger. So I don't really know what that means going forward. I would hope that that's not the strategy because it doesn't seem as if the Cavs can execute it very well, but it certainly seems to be on their mind. 100% agree. I think I think the Drummond game, to work back to that, it was an example of how good he could be there because he, he really just didn't let Andre Drummond get the ball in the types of positions that Drummond is best at. And he, Drummond, I think, took five shots in that game. Yes, he made those five shots, but Nance really made him work limited his positioning and I think that's sort of the archetype and then you know Jokic and and Lopez who you, and you pointed out and and Griff and and Jordan have all put up numbers against him Jokic is obviously incredible Jordan's very good I, I think it's something to be said that he's really really good as a center but I think that the tactical of the, of deploying him is going to be kind of um, interesting to watch how that shakes stuff out moving forward moving on uh, to George Hill. Now he, in my mind, has been the second best cab. Would you, first off, would you would you agree that in terms of who they've gotten, he's had the second biggest impact? Yeah, I think it's fairly close between him and Rodney Hood. But I'd say that you know, based on the defensive end, I think you do end up favoring Hill as, there as well um, for the second most impactful. So here here are his numbers right now. In 12 games, all starts, he's basically the team's starting point guard. He's played 28.5 minutes. He's shooting 41.3% from the field. That's down from 469 with the Kings. He's shooting 34.1% uh, on threes. That is down from 45.3%, which I believe was the best mark in the NBA with the Kings. Averaging the same amount of points, oddly enough, uh, 10.3 points per game um, with both the Kings and the Cavs. Averaging 3.3 assists against uh against just 1.3 turnovers, who's got kind of a good margin there about what he was at with the the Kings. A little more turnovers, but a little a, a little half a, a more assists per game. I, I, I am not particularly worried about some of the things that are, that have been weird with Hill. I think his shot's going to normalize that. He's just never been this bad of a three-point shooter since he was 28. Like, he's never been this low before and since he was a rookie with the Spurs back in 2009-2009 he is still getting used to kind of a different role he is learning kind of having a lot thrown in him he's probably the one that benefits the the most from once they get a, a scheme in place I, I would argue based on the, the type of the player he is I think he's going to be fine and I think there's a chance he ends up being just as impactful as Nance when the Cavs get sort of settled but he's got to just basically make shots I think it ends up what it kind of comes down to if he gets start hitting his threes that's going to go a long way. Yeah, and if you look at his three-point shooting, it's very weird, both in terms of his makes and his distribution. So he's 11 of 24 on corner threes, uh, which means he's taking 21% of all of his shots from the, from the corner three, which is the highest proportion in the entire NBA. Um, but he's only then taking 15% of his shots uh, from non-corner three, so the above-the-break three. And he's only three of 17 on those shots. Um, so his shot distribution is kind of weird in that sense. And I do think that it kind of um, indicates just a, a lack of aggression. I think, um, you know, that's something that you were talking about as well, is that he's not exactly comfortable. I think that the Cavs um, would like him to take a few more shots right now. Like there are some open looks, and I think they just like him to fire them up instead of thinking about them a little bit. 
Um, but, you know, as you, as you said, he doesn't turn the ball over at all. Um, so he's still extremely efficient in the pick and roll. Since coming to Cleveland, he's in the 85th percentile in the pick and roll as a scorer and 83rd percentile as a passer. And I think that that's one of the biggest things um, for this team is that George Hill, LeBron pick and roll has started to look really good lately. And I think that that's something that they're going to be relying upon a lot uh, in, in the postseason. And so if, if you're able to get that going and if Hill's able to kind of knock down those off-the-dribble mid-range shots that a lot of teams are going to end up giving him just because of LeBron's gravity, uh, I think that he's going to be totally fine, like you said. And he, he's continued to make an impact on the defensive end. Um, he's, he still gets over screens very well for a point guard. Uh, he's certainly much better than what the Cavs have had uh, for the last few years, and you know there's some <laughs> look. Weird that's that's like that's the lowest bar, and that that's that's <laughs> it's like non-finals Kyrie, Matthew Dellavedova, Isaiah Thomas, Jose Calderon, bless his heart, um, Kay Felder, like that that like that's such a low bar, and it's like. I know there's the first game. I just noticed how much better he was getting over screens. I was like, "Oh, this is what NBA point guards are supposed to do." This is this is very weird. He's he's like the exact opposite of every starter they've had really since LeBron came back. It's so weird. Yeah, and and they're the Cavs are essentially like a net neutral with him on the floor right now um, compared to with him off. But they're eight point eight points per hundred possessions better on offense, and eight point three points per hundred possessions worse on defense. And part of that is because opponents are shooting 43% uh, from three with him on the floor um, on defense. And I think that, honestly, part of that is just because he plays most of his minutes next to J.R. Smith. Um, and J.R. Smith is not uh, – I don't even know what he is right now. But um, he certainly hasn't made an impact on the defensive end recently. So – I think that, that those things are, are hurting Hill, and they're they're not really his his fault per se. But I mean that three point, you know, t- t- opponents aren't going to shoot forty three percent from three uh, against the Cavs, you know, over a longer sample. So that's something that that I'm certainly less worried about. Yeah, I I feel very good about Hill generally. He it, it's like we've talked. I think as a group, as a Cavs Twitter, I think we've talked very little about him. I think there there are reasons for that, um, but you know, I I also think like. He's, he's going to be fine. Moving on to Rodney Hood, he has had some injury issues. He's been a little bit inconsistent, which is something, if you if you listen to the, the post-trade show I did with David Locke, David Kevin said that Rodney's going to have really good games, have some really bad games. He's come off the bench. He started. What do you think uh, about Hood? For me, I, I think it's they need to mine his creation more. I think that could take some pressure off of, of JR to be asked to do it, of LeBron. I think he's going to be even more important now because of Jetty Osman's injury. That's going to keep him out for a little bit. Just, what have you made of how Hood has has looked so far? Um, I think that Hood, more than anyone, is someone who has been a system player his entire career by playing in Utah. Uh, you know, Quinn Snyder is a, a guy who runs a strict system and is one of the best coaches in the NBA. And and so when you have to come from that environment, your entire career to Cleveland, where a lot of the post trade stuff has been kind of LeBron and figure it out. And, you know, obviously they're still putting things into the offense and they put more stuff in recently, but ultimately, you know, this team kind of runs on a a LeBron centric system and then guys playing off of LeBron. And I think that that takes time. We saw it take time for, for both Kyle Korver and Channing Fry, and I think that Hood kind of falls in that category, but it's difficult because he just doesn't seem to 
really have like the natural aggression um, that you might like him to have given his physical tools and skill set. And so it seems as if, you know, if the Cavs aren't calling a play for him, which right now essentially all it's been is like him starting on the right side of the floor and coming left with the dribble handoff, usually from Larry Nance, and then kind of trying to make a play off of that. And when he had um, like 11-point fourth quarter, it was, here, Rodney, you're playing well. Let's give you the ball, basically. And he just created it on his own. It wasn't, they were, they were, it wasn't as if they were running anything complex to get him an open look. Right. And so I think that, you know, when he hasn't had his number called, that, you know, he's kind of struggled with towing the line between, you know, when to turn it on and when, and when to kind of be more of like a spot up guy. And so I think that the transition is, seems to have been kind of hard for him so far. The only set they really sort of run for him is, and I, I don't know, you, you would know the name better than me. I can't like draw exactly what it would it be called, um, but it's, he comes up and he basically just gets the ball at the top of the key. And they basically kind of give him an opportunity to either shoot or to um, uh, to attack from there with maybe a screen. And it's nothing complex. They run it maybe him for once or twice a game, and it's it's basically just okay, Rodney. You come off a screen. You're gonna we're gonna give you the ball. You make a choice. And I I like that they ask him to do it. And I also think you're right about him just being in a in a different situation in terms of a system, but also how much he has the ball. Um, with this year with the with the Jazz, and this is per basketball reference. He had the highest usage rate of his career um, with the Jazz at 27.5%. That was up from 25.6 last year. That's down to 18.3, which would be the lowest he's ever had. Um, slightly lower, 1.3% lower than his rookie year. If you look at his just raw shot numbers, 14.2 shots a game with, with the Jazz this season before the trade, a career high. It's down to 9.7 a game with the Cavs. He's shooting 3.6 threes per game with the Cavs. That's down from 6.7 with the Jazz. His numbers are down. I, I think he's someone that was getting used to playing at that volume and filling in that role, and it just doesn't seem like he's used to playing, trying to pick his spot a little bit. And that, that in itself is an adjustment, and I'm sure that that um, I'll ask him about this when he comes back, and I, I'd be curious to see what he has to say, but I, I wonder if that's just as much of a two. is not just playing in it without a system and trying to do stuff on the fly with stuff changing and now dealing with this back injury, but also just, hey, I don't have the ball as much, and how do I maximize these opportunities? That, that's got to be, going back to what you did when you were 22, that has to be weird for him. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that, you know, there are some, I mean, there are definitely uh, places where he can improve. Um, he's only scored 11 points on 18 dribble handoffs right now. Um, which was one of his better play types when he was coming over from Utah. Uh, he has a 7.6 assist percentage, and um, I forget who was running these videos. It might have been Jordan Zerm. It was someone was basically talking about how when he is coming off of these handoffs, there's a lot of uh, times where he looks like he should be able to throw a pass and is instead kind of pulling up in that floater range instead. Um, and you can kind of see that from his shot distribution. Uh, he when he gets all the way to the rim, which is only 14% of his shots, he shoots 64% there, which is very good. Um, but when he uh, pulls up from that floater range, he's he's pulling around 34% of his shots from the floater range, which is the 98th percentile in terms of most shots from floater range right now, which is not very good. Uh, and he only shoots 41% on those. So you kind of see the difference in terms of, you know, his ability to get all the way to the rim or his ability to, you know, pull up for, for that floater is really, you know, a, a 33% or 23% difference in terms of his shot. And, and so you'd like to see him kind of attack the rim more because that would also kind of open up some of the fouls. Uh, he's only drawing shooting fouls on 4.7% 4, 4. of his shots, 
which ranks in the 19th percentile. Um, and, you know, he's a 92% free throw shooter since coming to Cleveland. So you'd really like to see him get to the line more and get to the rim more. And I, I think that those are things that he's always struggled with in, over his entire career. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he can kind of develop in those areas um, as he, you know, hopefully gets the ball more and kind of gets a little bit more integrated within, you know, the Cavs system. Yeah, I I think he's someone who could benefit from just staying in the starting lineup. We'll, we'll come back to that here in a second. But last guy, Jordan Clarkson. Have you liked anything he's done besides the instant offense? Because I, I, he was great the first couple of games. I find myself more and more disinterested in, in what he does and how it fits in this team. I, I think there's a, a niche for it, but I, I think he there's things about his game that I just aesthetically I am just not really into. And, and that's, that's my own biases. I'll admit them, but there are things about what he does that I'm just not sure exactly how much I, I enjoy it. Yeah. And I mean, you can see, you know, he's, he's not a very good defender. Um, he tries kind of hard, but you know, he's low steals, low blocks, low fouls, um, which usually uh, just indicates, you know, someone who's not really making an impact on that. And, um, he's shooting 52% from mid-range since coming to Cleveland, which I think is obviously uh, boosting his scoring average a decent amount. Um, he's certainly not going to shoot 52% on mid-range shots. Uh, he, you know, his career high is 43% on those shots. Um, you know, so he's you know playing way over his head in terms of that play type. Um, he's been excellent in spot-up situations, and I think part of it is just because he's always had a very wide gap between. Uh, how he shoots on open versus contested threes in his career. And if you watch him shoot, you'll see that when he's open, he really jumps like, I want to say like probably over a foot forward, um, just in terms of his jump shot, like he launches himself way forward. And and then, you know, when there's a contest and he's not able to jump as far forward, his shot becomes really abridged. Uh, He ends up like, you know, thinking that he needs to put more on it with his arms a lot of the time. So he ends up shooting it way long. Um, you saw last or against the Lakers, he shot one off the backboard. He really struggled in that game. Um, but you know, he, when he, when he is open, he's knocking them down. He's been at 60% on those open threes since he came to Cleveland and basically like 20% on all other threes. Uh, he's shooting 47% on off the dribble jumpers. So, you know, you probably won't see either of those numbers sustain and, and, you know, they're just well over his career highs. So, um, even with, you know, kind of the numbers that he's putting up right now and the fact that he is shooting good percentages from the field, I would be uh, a bit wary about those continuing. I am very curious to see how he continues to adjust. I think of the last couple of games, to, to give him some credit, he's done a better job of not just being a black hole. I, I firmly think he sort of think like is just going to be a shooter first always. That's what he is. That, that's That's fine. He spent several games just not really looking at Kyle Korver when they played together, and I think he's someone who it, it, the, maybe his bad tendencies are brought out by the lack of a structure right now. Maybe he looks better when they do have more of a system in place, and maybe that's something they, they're they probably not going to necessarily totally have this year in Kevin Lovitz to come back, and that's going to be interesting to see how he fits with bench units and stuff because I, I doubt we're going to see some of these crazy bench units when, when Kevin Love and, and, and Tristan are both healthy, but I, I – I don't. I think Clarkson is going to be the guy that, out of these, I would suspect his role is is going to be cut the most come the playoffs. I think Hill becomes more valuable in the playoffs. The steadiness that he provides, the the defense, the the spot up shooting, the the get out of the LeBron and Kevin Love's wayness of his game, 
I think that becomes more valuable as Clarkson becomes a little bit less valuable, and then it may, he'll probably have one or two really big games in the playoffs would be sort of my, my guess. But I think he's going to become less valuable the further we get into this, and that, that's part of the reason why, for me, he's been the least interesting guy out of the four. I think Hood's been kind of inconsistent in everything. Hill's just been steady. Nance has been the, the guy that has everyone loves now. But Clarkson, to me, is just there. there's things that he does. And just looking at his, at his numbers – He's averaging 2.3 assists per game, and he's not in 1.4 turnovers. But his usage rate um, is up at 25.3 compared to George Hill. Hill's got a usage rate, looking this up, of, of 17.2%. That That's a little nuts to me. And I understand they have different games, and Hill's playing with LeBron more and all these different factors that we need to look at. But I, that that's a lot of Jordan Clarkson that I think probably needs to get just toned down a little bit once once things get cut down. Yeah, and I think that it's certainly possible that Clarkson ends up looking fairly decent in the playoffs because he ends up playing all of his minutes, um, you know, not not as the lead ball handler. I mean, I guess it's a question of, you know, whether the Cavs end up playing LeBron or Kevin Love with the second unit. Uh, it's always been my preference for LeBron to play with the second unit and Love to you know, anchor the, the first unit throughout the whole first quarter, basically play you know, the, the vast majority of the first quarter have LeBron sit for the last like three minutes and then start the second quarter. That way he can be kind of the orchestrator of that second unit. And it's possible that, you know, Clarkson's always been a great wide open three point shooter his entire career. LeBron creates a bunch of decent looks for him. He doesn't have the ball as much, so he's not taking as many of these crazy mid range shots. And he ends up being, you know, pretty valuable in the playoffs on the offensive end. Um, I think that that's your best case scenario and one that, you know, I would be striving to replicate if, if I were on the Cavs coaching staff. But, um, it, you know, it's certainly possible that if he is going to be the primary focus on that second unit in, in, the, in the playoffs and that Kevin Love's going to be playing with them, that, you know, Cavs fans might end up getting frustrated, you know, when Clarkson's coming off a pick and roll and taking a mid-range shot instead of looking for Love with a switch in the post, just because of, as you said, you know, he doesn't have the greatest passing vision for a point guard, and he's looking to kind of get his own bucket before really looking for other guys. Be very curious to see how a trio of him, Corver, and Love would work to start a fourth quarter. I, I just kind of intrigued by um, those together. Let's wrap it up on this, Mike. The, the four guys we have laid out, Nance is starting now. Hill's a starter. Hood's a starter. Clarkson's uh, kind of the the sixth man. Do you like the how the roles are right now? Should should where they are now be the the resemblance at least of, of where we're going to be once we're watching this team in, in in late April, May, in in June if they can actually get there? Um, I think that in terms of offensive roles right now, I think that they're all kind of asked to play over their heads a little bit and that things will fall into place much better with Kevin Love back. Um, I think especially for a guy like George Hill, who's kind of asked to be like the secondary guy on the starting unit right now, that's, that's too much for him. And being that tertiary guy could be really helpful. Um, as far as, you know, minutes distribution and things of that nature, um, it, it's, I mean, I'm of the personal belief that uh, Hood should start at the two, LeBron at the three, Love at the four, Nance at the five, and Hill at the one. Uh, I think that gives the, the Cavs the best chance to win. Um, and in that case, you know, you're really bumping Hood's minutes up uh, closer to maybe the 28-30 range, uh, knocking J.R. Smith's minutes down fairly significantly to start the playoffs. And, uh, you know, that would probably be the, the largest change in terms of the playoffs with, with these guys. 
Um, I still think that, you know, you keep Nance maybe around that 20 to 25 minute range. Uh, you find minutes for Tristan and then you kind of find minutes for whatever matchup works, whether it's, you know, you need to go to love at the five LeBron at the five, um, you know, as long as there's no Jeff Green involved, I, th- I think you can make that work. Um, but <laughs> as, as far as the Jeff the Green, go, what, what an experience. Yeah, it's gone downhill quite quite fast. <laughs> Someone told him over the All Star break that he was a three point shooter or something again because he's he's been firing him up and he's the only one who who knows that uh, he's not open for a reason. So uh, it hasn't gone well. I do not think he's benefited from um, the new. I think he's just been put into like a weird role because of the new guys, and I think what they're asking to do with the with no like if Kevin Love just is playing Jeff Green some minutes, I think the Cavs are like a lot better off. Like it's not it's not as simple yeah, well, as that, but if just like you have an All Star and, and not Jeff Green, things are better. Breaking news: not a twenty percent three point shooter taking who, like who, three of them. Who game. teams just have no who, no willingness to to chase out and like Jeff Green has had some good moments this year. You wrote a good piece for the sort about his him drawing fouls and he's been a very good dunker. But um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot not to like about him too. Yeah, so you know, as as long as he's not in the in the playoff front court rotation, I think that you can kind of figure it out in terms of um, how you distribute those minutes between Nance Thompson and and Love, and I think that that kind of ends up being more of a matchup dependent thing than really something that you're going to you know set in stone every game or even every series. Uh, just you know whatever's working that night or you know whatever advantage you think you have in that series, I think you just kind of play to that. And, you know, you rely on, on a guy, especially a guy like Nance, to just be very selfless, and that's always been his reputation. So I think he's going to come out and give you the best possible minutes, no matter, you know, if he's playing five minutes a game or, or 30 minutes a game. Um, and, you know, you, you just rely on him to continue to bring the hustle and the energy that he's shown uh, since the trades. Mike Zavagano, that is today's guest. You can find Mike on Twitter at Zavagano. That's Z-A-V-A-G-N-O-11 on Twitter. Mike, thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at CWM Rights Podcast on Twitter and Facebook as well at Lockdown Cavs. iTunes, go subscribe. Five-star rating interviews, the best way to support the show. When we uh, have another giveaway coming up soon, make sure you get those reviews in and send them in to LockdownCavs.gmail.com. And check out Lockdown NBA Monday through Friday. Back tomorrow, Cavs Blazers recap. Going to be an interesting test for the Cavs, but have a good one.